0: Hi everyone, Ken here. So a lot of you have probably seen by this point. On September 15th, we had a massive wave of layoffs over Fanbyte. This included myself, as well as several of my friends, a lot of whom y'all have heard on this show over the years. I want to say first off, thank you for all the kind things that y'all have said to me in the wake of this news. Um, In spite of everything that happened, I know we did a lot of amazing things over there, and I'm always going to treasure these past three years at that site, working with some of my favorite people on the planet. On top of all the kind words and support, I saw there were a lot of people that actually subscribed to NormandyFM's Patreon over the past week or so, and that really was very encouraging to see. Uh, Y'all know Normandy has never really been what paid the bills, but the support is always appreciated, and I hope those of you who have subscribed in the past week or so have enjoyed all the banked Cyberpunk episodes we have. While those who've subscribed at the top tier will get shoutouts during the remaining episodes of the season, Because we've been recording so far ahead, I knew it was going to be a minute before those people got named on the public feed. So I wanted to take a moment before the special episode you're listening to right now to extend my deep gratitude to Mercedes Close, Meredith, Shane Erickson, Darius Pippins, Genevieve Barba, Seth Pitts, Alex Stadnik, Joshua Jarvis, Andrea Sharon, and Christoph Wies. In the meantime, I've included several links to my former co-workers' Twitters and places you can support them in the show description. Thank you all once again for all the kind words you've had during this time. And really, for the past four years of us doing this show, I don't really know what's next for me at this point, but I do know Normandy FM persists as we continue our journey through Night City. So let's get back to it. Here's our bonus episode on Cyberpunk Edrunners.
1: This is Carrie Uridine, and you're
2: listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective.
1: Welcome to an extra special bonus episode of Normandy FM. I, of course, am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you feeling this morning?
0: Oh, like I'm flying on the moon right now, just vibing.
1: Would you say that you really want to stay at someone's house? Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. okay? To help us sort through the emotions of what we're going through today, talking about cyberpunk edge runners, the tie-in anime adaptation. In the Cyberpunk universe, we've got two extra special guests with us. First off, we've got Funke. Funke, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. What's up, Chumbadas? Up in Night City. <laughs> you already know the
0: vibes.
1: Awesome. How, and we all, How are you? We all, I'm doing great. I'm I'm waking up. I, I got to be honest. I'm getting coffee here. I'm letting the coffee sink in a little bit. Do they have coffee <laughs> in Night City? I've actually never gone to look at the beverages. Uh, they do. They uh, do? There's yeah, coffee. They, they're that's... offering it all the time, and I'm like,
0: no, I don't like that shit. It's
2: digital. They just oh. inject it into you.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, the coffee virus. Finally. I've been trying to get infected. Kate, how about you? How have you been feeling?
3: <laughs> Hi. I have nothing catchy to say. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to be here and really excited to be talking to Runner. So I'm, I'm just thankful for my spot on this little crew.
1: We're happy to have you. It's, a, you know, we wanted to get you on to definitely talk about something because it feels like it's been a hot minute. We really, I think your only Normandy FM appearance has been the panel we did, right? Mm. Yeah, oh.
3: that is, that is accurate. And that was like 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that was in the before times. Uh, so we had to get you on for Cyberpunk Edge Edgerunners. And I guess to start, we'll, we'll bounce it back to you, Kate. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your history with with cyberpunk
3: um <laughs> not much uh so i i have a very long history with cyberpunk as a genre um it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite um things mainly because of a lot of the anime and manga that i've been kind of watching and reading for most of my life um and also my deep deep love of blade runner um but i kind of steered away from cyberpunk 2077 because of just a lot of the issues that there were at launch a lot of the bugs and stuff but then also like primarily because at my ripe old age of having a full-time job I don't have time to invest in 100-hour games anymore and it makes me really sad Mm -hmm. um but that being said I was very excited for this anime because it's made by one of my favorite studios so that's probably the answer y'all wanted to hear but um yeah i don't have too much i know the genre in and out but so far as the franchise not so much
1: funky it sounds like you are also a studio trigger fan why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe some of your history with both cyberpunk and studio trigger
2: absolutely um i'm funky and yeah i i really didn't like cyberpunk for I think the the full year before it came out, because I was just so mm. annoyed about hearing it, and like covering games like that was one of the games that you heard about like all the time, and mm. I personally just I didn't care. I was like, okay, like I guess I'll play it for work maybe just to cover it, uh, and then I played it for work, and about twenty five hours in, I was like, oh shit, this game is sick, um, but the first twenty five hours I don't really mess with. Uh, so that's not something that I can really pitch confidently to someone. That's like something that I, I just play for myself and I'm like, OK, this is a fun game. But I, I don't think people should be like, as Kate is saying, people are busy. Like you can't dedicate 25 hours and then something gets good. Right. Like it's not a really good return on in- investment. So uh, I've kind of just like been arguing with Kenneth, too, in, in our slacks and discords being like, hey, it's, it's, it's not that bad. Like once you get pretty far, like it's OK, there's, there's some cool stuff in there. Uh, and I've in the recent recent months, I've I've stopped that battle and kind of just been like, you know what, Cyberpunk is fun for me and a few other people. That's fine. But with the show, I feel like I can convince people to play it now. Like
3: I wanted to play it. Like I wanted right? to play it the moment I finished it. I was it makes like, it look well, so cool. Well, hot damn, CD Projekt Red. <laughs> mm.
2: It's so awesome. Like, and I don't think Cyberpunk 2077 is a perfect game. I don't think. It, i think it's very fun and special there's definitely still so many issues with it but there's something cool in there and and edge runners really takes that coolness and expands on it and does it with studio trigger the goats in the Mm. game Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i'm I'm really happy because like yeah i loved little witch academia i love promare um yeah a lot of that crew worked on uh uh, gurn lagon as well Mm -hmm. uh which my favorite anime ever kill a kill has a lot of issues but i think the fights are cool um yeah studio trigger gets it
1: kill a kill has that dude with the money gun and i don't think i'll ever forget the dude with the money gun like he just (laughs) invents a gun that shoots money and it's incredible it's so genius i do want to piggyback
3: on that and say that like i also I, i i kind of lied uh, my other entryway into Cyberpunk 2077 was the Trauma Team comic that Titan Comics put out. That mm. comic is really good.
2: Ooh, I never read really, that. I, I should check that it's out. It's
3: really good. Um, and that was when I was first like, oh, I think that this world has so much to offer, even if you're not just like playing the game proper. And like, I want more of the world itself.
1: Yes. Mm. I think Actually, that's the interesting.
0: thing. Oh, sorry. Oh, can okay, you go. You go. See, see, the interesting thing to me about watching Ed Runners, and was, I think the, kind of, the thing that I've come away from it, like my biggest feeling I'm away from was, if anyone has been listening to our 2077 season has been you know paying attention, I've talked a lot about how I felt playing that game. My connection to this world was very singular and that it was about the character that I was playing in that game and feeling like that was my sort of self-insert avatar through this world mm-hmm. where I think Ed Runners kind of made me like filled in a lot of blanks for me and made me feel like maybe there's more for me in this franchise and so honestly like leaving edge runners i'm more tempted to like look into the tabletop stuff look into all these other tie-ins that they have because 2077 i think like i lived in night city but with edge runners i feel like i actually understand it and Mm. that was kind of like i just finished my third rewatch in preparation for this and i'm like man there's like a lot number three Yeah, I know. I I have
1: sickness to the problem. Um, <laughs> are you going to soon beat uh, Natalie's Arcane rewatch number? Yeah, I'm, I'm oh trying to catch gosh. up with her it, okay. really what's going on here. I only learned about that recently because Natalie was on Blood God and when we got to what we've been playing, Natalie just said I rewatched Arcane for the 10th time and I was like, "Hell yeah." <laughs> yeah,
3: I've watched I watched through Edge Runners 3 times already. Whoa.
1: Okay, I gotta catch we, up. Yeah, funky. We've been slacking. <laughs> yeah. we, apparently, there was a requirement for this podcast. So,
3: in my defense, though, like I every now, I'm I'm a very obsessive person, and when I find something that I just like mm. to mm. visually see every now and mm. again, I will just put it on the TV and keep it going like That's consistently. Fair. Also, um, because I get Netflix screeners, those don't count towards actual view numbers. So if you want your stuff to get renewed, you should probably watch it where it does count, which is mm. so dumb that, like, that is a metric that has to be said. But that's that's also why, like, if I really love a show, I tend to rewatch it at least one more time. Just oh, so I never thought
1: about first. that. Yeah. Do you, do you do, like, did you do dubs versus subs? Like, did you do one and mm-hmm. then the other? Yes.
3: So the second watch through, I paid full attention and I did it with Japanese uh, with the Japanese team, and then for the third watch through, um, I think episode six, I did not move. I watched all of it. And then I just kind of was in and out for quite a few.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But, um, but yeah. The anime is really easy to do the double watching with because it just do seven dub. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a, a little thing that I think a lot of critics didn't realize that we didn't count towards things. And now that we do, a lot of us do tend to rewatch stuff.
1: Mm. I I want to bounce off of what ken just said i think is like a very important uh part of this whole thing is that i know we talk about cyberpunk 2077 a lot because right now we're covering that as as norm dfm that's also like the most recent and most recognizable like tangible thing especially for people in the games industry of the cyberpunk capital c cyberpunk franchise and it is interesting to me that this is really just a continued expansion of the cyberpunk tabletop franchise just like 2077 was and this isn't the first time that cd project has done this you know they did this with the witcher where the witcher um was coming from a book series turned into a video game series and now uh is a netflix series and the netflix series did see a lot of players go back to the witcher but there is something of a phenomenon happen happening with with Edge Runners where a lot of people are going back to 2077, like over one than, of like a yeah, million. Yeah, more than went back for The Witcher, and I mean part of that is probably because The Witcher I think had its um, you know praise when it was there, and it was not the right out of the gate smack dab into a wall that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. Cyberpunk was, but. Is there something like about Edge Runners that just makes it compelling? Like I want to like, like not just seeing it and being like, oh, I like the story, I like Gerald, but like there is something about the way that Trigger incorporates Night City and the looks and the places and the feel of Night City that make you be like, Oh, I could play a video game where I'm in this world. Yes, I would like to do that. I think it's amazing how they've adapted. Like the world and all the things from both the tabletop and the game series, it's it, it's really impressive. It feels like honestly the best showing of Night City that we've had so far. Uh, I don't know how y'all feel about that.
2: Absolutely, like I I loved the show when I watched it, and I wrote I guess my last piece for Fanbite was being like, "Yo, this show think- is fire! Like <laughs> this show is really good, and it salvages the the like crash and burn that was Cyberpunk's launch on console." um and that made me really excited but when i wrote that piece i still was like like i hope people play this game again and like check it out but i was so shocked when i read that like over a million people are Mm. consistently playing this every day since uh edge runners dropped um but like it shouldn't be too much as a too much of a surprise because i remember watching uh star wars visions and the way Studio Trigger reimagined Star Wars, I was like, Mm. oh, shit. Like, Mm -hmm. lightsabers are so cool. Like, I know they're cool, (laughs) but they just made them so much infinitely cooler. Just with their... I I think Studio Trigger is so good at using size in, in their art and in all their animation. Like... They just have huge dudes. In, in Edge in Runners, it's the exact same, too. Like They just have dudes who are way too big. Like They, they make everyone around them look so small, and it, just the fights are over the top because of that. It, it's such a great sense of scale that it makes everything exciting.
3: I think for me, I'm of two minds. I don't actually think that this is all Studio Trigger doing that work. Um, a lot of the writing was done in uh, with, with CD Projekt Red. Um, I think... Mm-hmm how they visualized Night City was really good to make it to where you want to jump in because it felt like a fully fleshed out world like every time Mm. you saw something you felt like you could peel back something else or turn a different corner and like see everything like they gave us a huge world but Mm. I actually I'm gonna be like less artistic in my take and I think that uh when you went back to go play The Witcher you still got all those really buggy games from a really long time ago um, mm. and when you went back to go play CD Projekt... Well, when you went back to play Cyberpunk 2077, one, it's an expansively larger game. It's a game that you can self-insert, and you have control over who you're being. And then also, it's a game that has recently come out and like has done a lot of work to get past a lot of its like bug hiccups. So I think one of the reasons that like there is like a longer... Um, like, not just a, I'm going to go play this, okay, I did it and left but a more immersive piece. So I think that they kind of they both work in tandem, but I also don't think that you'd get this type of player retention from the anime to the game if it wasn't for the game type that Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven mm, is. That's
1: interesting. And how
3: that. much you can actually put into it. Um,
2: that's very true. You can really throw yourself into Cyberpunk. Yeah. That and Night I see City that because I
3: watched because like I watched my husband go start playing The Witcher series and then he stopped because of how bad the <laughs> games are like Witcher not like narratively rough. but Witcher like Witcher 1 is
1: rough. Yeah,
3: yeah, like they're hard to replay
1: mm-hmm.
3: um at certain points. And so like I saw that happen with the Witcher stuff and now I'm just kind of like I feel like I feel like the timing cuz this has been in development since 2018. I feel like the timing of the edge runners release was a perfect tie-in one for the game itself which they did with um with like giving you david's jacket and that type of stuff but i also just think that they made sure that the game was in a spot where they could drive more people to yeah. it so i think it's a little bit of both like not to take any way of trigger and like any of like trigger's flowers away like i am a trigger fangirl and there are so many callbacks to Pro in here but I do think that you don't get that type of retention if you didn't have CD Projekt Red putting in the work into uh, 2077 and being getting it ready to retain the players personally.
0: Because mm. mm. right, I think if this had come out like you know when the game first came out, that retention would not be there just because mm-hmm. of the state of the game at that point. So I guess like in, in a way, like it, it worked out in terms of like this sort of drip feed that we got of the you know the franchise and these tie-ins that by the time this anime came out and was as great as it was the game is at least like in a, in a state where it can retain players and not be this frankly laughing stock of the internet. And I think, so Mm -hmm. I think like, you know, having that distance from the original launch has been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Let's rewind a little
1: bit for, for those at home who may not have, uh, watched cyberpunk edge runners. First of all, why are you 15 minutes into this podcast and, and (laughs) listening, just go watch edge runners. It's 10 episodes on Netflix. It's like nothing. It's you can watch it in a weekend, but, uh, we have the basic building blocks of this story. And I think some of that is really important to why edge runners sticks out so well is uh, I talked about this a little bit in my piece that I wrote about it, but I think having a main character, having David Martinez and, and really like honing in on, you know, not what, 2077 has to do in terms of you've got a created character who can make choices and can do different things and has life paths and has to kind of get from a to b to c in a certain point in time but they get to kind of tell one story one character in night city uh david martinez we see in episode one i think is maybe one of the better portrayals of just what life looks like on the ground in Night City mm-hmm. versus anything that V experiences because V does have you know the streaked kid origin and can get some of that you know background early on but it can't we talked about this in the season it kind of feels like V is always in sort of an outsider position and maybe that's mm-hmm. because the player by nature is in right. an outsider position when they come into a video game yeah but um something about the way we kind of get plunged in with David in in the beginning i love the the opening segment where he's walking through uh his his like apartment complex and and to the train and taking it in to go to arasaka academy and it's you know it's very like visual storytelling one one right like he's he's in a really like bad decrepit place there's kind of people all around burned out and He's literally jumping into a pile of garbage, which is a fun little, uh, I noticed that one of our previous guests, uh, eloquence, uh, posted on Twitter that that seems to be a callback to the giant piles of garbage that used to block off certain areas you can access and not access in cyberpunk, (laughs) uh, which we'll talk about the way that trigger uses like things from the video game 2077, extremely well later, but, uh, it's it's such a cool opening because it is really communicating hey there are parts of this city that are just in terrible states you know david's yeah. just watching as as the train is zipping by and there is this building being blown up and trauma team is flying in and that's just a tuesday for and he's not David.
2: even phased. Dude is sitting nah. there, like, calm. <laughs>
1: like- and and he gets into the inner city, the part where, like, Arasaka Academy is, that kind of rotunda that exists if you've been in 2077. And, again, I, I love that it's so easy to pinpoint all of these locations mm-hmm. uh, in the actual Night City in 2077. So you could theoretically, and, and people on TikTok and stuff have been going everywhere and, like, showing all the actual places that you can go. It's really, really cool. But you see this like completely different world where there's like fake atriums and there's like people just kind of walking around and all in in suits and corpo attire and stuff. And it's just a complete um, contrast from where David is coming in from. And like that that is how we were introduced to the character of David is somebody who is coming from one place trying to get into another and uh, being openly mocked and shamed for it by the the shit heel kids at our oh, soccer Academy who deserve to get their ass kicked so righteously. Um, but I, I think the viewpoint is so critical to mm-hmm. what makes edge runners work and why it pulls people in is because right. y- you get to just jump into what night city is right off the bat. Like you are just being told an excellent yeah.
0: story from the jump here.
3: And I think yeah. that like, oh, you can go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say, like, as a um as a person who played Street Kid V in 2077, I felt like it, it was this wild moment for me to watch this first episode and see, like, you know, David basically giving us like this grand tour of Night City and what it feels like to be, you know, somebody that's born here but is trying to work their way up into something, because a lot of that in the game is stuff that I kind of had to like fill in the gaps myself as a player and you know headcanon my way through how my V got to be where he is, and. That's, just, like, I mean, I, I like, right, the character that I'm playing. Like, that's, you know, part of why I love RPGs like this. But just, like, immediately, I was, like, realizing how many things about Night City I still really didn't feel like I understood in a more, like, concrete, tangible way. Like, you know, okay, Night City is a very, it's this awful, like, force of nature that puts people, like, especially people that are, like, in poverty in this just, like, terrible state this, that everyone's suffering under this place, this capitalist bullshit. And mm. here, you know, you get, like, an actual... Step by step, you see this kid go through every facet of his life that he's, you know, suffering under, just like you know the hierarchy of the city, in a way that like V can talk about in 2077. But it's often you know in the abstract. It's like Uh you know, oh, I grew up Uh on the streets. I was you know committing crimes to, you know, find a way to get ahead. And I'm just like, okay, I'm imagining these things in my head now, and I'm like you know, kind of writing the story in my head. But like, just as like an actual, tangible, concrete intro to what Night City is to the people on the ground. Edge Runners just was, like, immediately drawing my attention to how much I felt like I was missing in 2077.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, uh, I got to watch the first two episodes at PAX West. They did, like, a, mm-hmm. a oh, little yeah. screening thing for it. And that opening sequence let me know that they were going to do actual cyberpunk. They were going mm-hmm. to do actual... You know, these are the issues that are facing. This is what dystopian sci fi is. This is what this is what I feel has happened when non honestly, a, a lot of Western countries have taken like the cyberpunk genre as just like in, completely erased the importance mm-hmm. of showcasing class struggle in it all. And showcasing Mm. the differences and the large impacts of how a thing that can get you out of the worst situation is also the thing that gets you into it, which is what we see with David throughout the series. Um, And so for me, that show, like that intro was visually telling me, "Okay, no, we get it. We know what cyberpunk actually Mm. is and we're going to do it. And so that was exciting. And I think the other thing, and this is more of like my self insertion into the series and and obviously with, you know, pretty much no knowledge of the video game was that like I had to walk through like a neighborhood that had a lot of gangs in it to Uh, get to school. I was, like, I have been, like, the poor kid wearing Goodwill to school and getting laughed at for it. Like, Mm -hmm. I, like, and is that what David's going through? No, but it gives me, like, a really big window into a character who is being asked to not just survive, but he's being asked by his mom to thrive in all of this, and Mm -hmm. we are visually Mm -hmm. seeing how hard that is. And that it is every single piece at every single turn, making sure that he can't. And so, I, I think the first episode, I think the first and sixth episode of, of Ed Runners are, are the best. And mm. I think it's because mm. the first episode really showcases the stakes, the indifference, and the and essentially the the oppressive thumb of just you know corporations in all of this in a way that I never got from anything I ever saw about Cyberpunk uh, 2077. And yeah. that made me really excited. And, yeah.
2: <laughs> it, it emotionally hits, like, way faster and deeper than Cyberpunk 2077 does. Mm-hmm. And that is partly one of the pitfalls of having a game with so much choice and so many avenues to go down um, that wants the player to feel, like, free in, in upgrading and an rpg all of those RPG elements. But like, yeah, the downfall is that you don't feel as involved in the world, like in the past as well. You don't, you don't get that like on the ground feeling Um, here, here in the notes, someone mentioned like the healthcare and just like how shit that is. Like, you know, it's like, it's mentioned in the game, but like to see him sitting and being like, Oh my god! Like these people aren't even helping my mom. Like they literally mm-hmm. crashed into her. Aren't Visitation helping.
1: Her. is not part of your care package. Yeah, this yeah. guy,
2: this guy, like helping. Like the doctor is just so tapped out, and is like, "Can you give me some more money? Like, maybe I can yeah. help you if you just give me some more money." And then you see, like, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But she dies like so soon after that. I fully thought she would live because she. It sounded like she was stable, um, but just like that, just highlighted so glowingly how shit it is to live in this city um in a way that the game just never did for me like as as ken said you are often imagining these callbacks from street kid v but to to actually see a kid who is living this lifestyle it's it's really sad uh
1: i i think something that also stuck out to me about that sequence where um so obviously like they're coming back from the principal's office uh David's mom is trying to tell him like hey I just want you to like do better I'm doing all this stuff um, in work outside work trying to get you the chances that I want you to have to not just like waste away in Night City and they get caught up in just another turf war just another fight between two people on the highway mm-hmm. and uh, that is the last moment that David sees his mom he doesn't even he doesn't get to visit her and uh, I don't think she's even like outside of flashbacks or, or hallucinations or anything she's not really shown on screen at all after that point um, you just yeah. have him selecting like out of that digital pamphlet how like like how she wants or, or how he wants her her body disposed of and that's it like which is mm-hmm. and
3: I, I think too like we don't see her, but she is in so much of the narrative
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like and,
3: and even the ending theme song, when you look at the lyrics and how it's all built, like sh- Gloria is still driving and it may not be driving his choices, but it's driving the guilt that he feels with every mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that is expertly done um, for me from a storytelling perspective. I It's also not lost on me that he's like a little brown kid and like mm-hmm. that for me, and obviously like that's, it's not unique to Latinos, but like it is one of those things where it is like, that first episode hit so emotionally hard because there are literally days where like me with a career doing perfectly fine for myself. Oh no. Did I disappoint my mom? Like just randomly. (laughs) Like, and like I will be just living my happy old life. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, did I disappoint my mom? Like, and I think like, it's weird to call out. And I, I, I think that like there are two things that especially like his mom's death does. I think you're absolutely Right. It really sets up a scene on just how messed up all of Night City is and how Mm -hmm. everything is, especially because she was a member of Drama Team. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what it also does is it really showcases the weight that you carry to get out of something and how much that weight and impact to survive masses with the choices that you make. Because, like, I do think that there's, like, a turning point in the series where I'm like, David, you sweet baby boy, you are so dumb. You are so, so dumb. Uh But I think that there's a lot of understanding for me. And this is, again, deep. This is just a reading from, like, self-insertion. But, like, I have known so many people in my life. I would say about, like, half of my friend group did perfectly fine after high school. And half of my friend group went into jail. And a lot mm. of that is just because when you have no options to you, you make bad decisions. Mm. Because at that time, they don't feel like bad decisions. At that time, it feels like the only way that you can keep going. And yeah. I think that that is showcased in an empathetic way in Edge Runners that I don't necessarily – I didn't expect and that we mm. don't get a lot of. Like, he does make dumb decisions in the back half of the show. like, But I think – for the front half where you see him making his decisions to find a new family, to make, get credits, to like just live. I think it it's done with an empathy that I really appreciate. And while like it's not a one to one, like I I know so many people like that. I know so yeah. many people who have had to make a choice. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why that I have always loved, you know, cyberpunk as a genre. And, like, those types of science fiction stories as a genre because it really showcases the way that the world forces you into decisions for yourself, even when you wouldn't normally make
2: Yeah, it. it the The anime shows how suffocating that, that world is in those systems, uh-huh. like, how they lead to those choices. And, uh, Kate, I feel that, like, cyberpunk hits because I, I also, like, grew up in that kind of environment as well. And I, I was frankly a bit disappointed when i played 2077 and it it kind of dropped that whole idea and and in favor of like irreverent humor like i'm crazy we're in night city like it's insane um but i i feel like it it finally gets there very late into 2077 whereas edge runners like it's there from the start like you really see like how these things are piling up you see like okay david is forced to make these decisions and yeah they're not good but like he has to do something. Like otherwise, he's just going to like rot and die, and like It, it is very sad, and you do realize, like, okay, like yeah, it, it, it's like these decisions aren't the best, but you have to do something. You can't just sit there. Mm-hmm. And I understand mm-hmm. why he why he can't sit there as well. Um, but yeah, it's all very sad. Like just just even it's by the like end of like, mm-hmm. damn, sad. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I I think one of the most effective storytelling bits that they use in Edge Runners is something that also goes like criminally overlooked in 2077 as a piece of the tabletop game. That is like an actual function of the tabletop game, but kind of just becomes a mechanic in 2077 that you don't really engage with outside of quests, which is cyberpsychosis And yeah. the, the idea that if you Chrome out too much, that if you get too many attachments and body parts replaced, that you'll kind of start to disassociate from yourself and eventually, just go bloodlust hungry, and and you know the the state will have to come in and and put you down. And God, you know, subtext is for cowards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just making it text there. But I love I love how it, you know in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven like cyber psychosis is just kind of used as like oh there are these wacky dudes over here and they got a ton of attachments and you can go kill them or non-lethally take them out and you'll get different rewards depending on what you do. But like, I can tell you from experience that you can shove as much chrome into V as you want and no bad consequences will happen. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's because the game wants you to just play with all the gameplay toys and not have to worry about that, which I think is a lame choice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or... Uh, maybe it just doesn't want you, you know, it wants you to, to keep an eye on like, oh, you know, the, the real danger is the, the Keanu Reeves in your head trying to like take over your soul. Yeah. And we don't want you to worry about cyber psychosis, too. We want you to put the sick rocket launcher in your arm. And like, I like having the cyber, sick rocket Psycho- launcher, but.
2: cyber psychosis is literally just a, a tool to gear gate you like get you from like putting on way too much stuff. they are like, you can't right. do it because yeah. you'll go crazy
1: or whatever. But in in Edge Runners, it's portrayed as almost this necessary endpoint for so many of these runners, because we see it with Main. We see it with, you know, at, at this point, we are full on spoilers, folks. If you're like, still like, listening and, and it's this is your call at this point, so full on spoilers from this point, but uh it's we see with david we see it with honestly a lot of these characters even if they're not chroming out to that degree they still know that it's a thing and a thing that is common enough that they know what it looks like and uh it's i i think you know just the idea of you know to get into this game you do have to chrome out right like main makes that point a lot of people make that point to david that like eventually you're going to have to up. You know, you can build your body up, you can build it up, but eventually you're going to have to start commodifying your body in some way to do this work. And then eventually at some point, if you want to keep up with everybody else, you're going to have to do it until it destroys you. And again, subtext is for cowards, the cyberpunk system will destroy your body for profit. (laughs) Like, that is... it's, It's so good, but I think it works so well, and I love actually seeing cyberpsychosis used as not just this oh, you know, there's some crazy people loose, better go take yeah. care of them. It's like, so good. The, the uh-huh. way they deal with it, with the way that Maine goes through it and then David goes through it is, honestly, like, I, I, I mentioned haunting a few times when I described this this series, and that is the part that, like, gets me, like, having mm. seen people go through things like, you know, um, Alzheimer's and stuff like that it it has some veneer of that on it where they're kind of losing themselves they're getting lost in a memory they don't know where they are they become very easily disoriented and sometimes violent at at the time there's there's a lot of like mental health correlation here and it's it's done. I, I personally think really really well in Edge Runners, and mm-hmm. uh, it it was really affecting to see it played out, and and not just used as like, go round up the crazy people for NCPD mm-hmm. and get the bonus game points that you right. want. Yeah.
3: and <laughs> like oh, oh,
2: oh yeah. I was just gonna say it adds a weight to the series that I really love. Like I watch a lot of uh, like Shonen and action shows, and I kind of tap out when the, when the power is too much in the characters and there's not enough, Mm. like pushback, Mm -hmm. like not not enough recoil. Uh, it actually reminded me so much of Chainsaw Man, the manga, uh, with, with just like how much they have to sacrifice to get these sick powers. And the powers Mm. are sick. Don't get me wrong. But like, like Aki, for example, uh, Late in the game, he has to make a, a choice that is so twisted mm-hmm. and he loses so much with that choice to get an, a, like a bonkers power. But like, you know, it's not going to go well after that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I see that parallel so much in David that I was just like, dang, that is that is really how I enjoy power systems the most. When when these characters are are sacrificing a lot to get these really, really cool powers.
3: and i'm gonna kind of like throw a wrench in this because i agree with everything all of you all are saying and i agree that it is the way the concept was it was used was good i don't think it's executed well because and maybe it's because i haven't played the game but i needed like three or four more episodes to tell me exactly what those flashbacks for main was like i wanted more emotion i wanted more build-up and i think that that like my old like I gave it an 8.5 out of 10 and the only reason I didn't give it a 10 was because of how the cyber psychosis and the buildup to it like we don't get like mm. because of the time jump we don't get to see David finally deciding to make those choices because like mm. he tells Maine that he's not going to be like and he's not gonna do this but we don't get to see any of the choices that get made from the point that Maine dies to the point that he starts undergoing his own like you know chroming out thing, mm. right? And for me, that that hurts the narrative so greatly that it's really hard for me to draw, like, an emotional piece to it. Um, with the exception of Maine, like, I wanted to know more because they kept showing us that flashback of him running, and I'm like, well, what's the story here? Um and we don't get it. But, like, that's fine. He wasn't our main character. But mm. with David, I wish I had seen more of those so slow slips. Because when we see him, he's pretty much already at the point of, like, cyber psychosis. And it's this one thing that pushes him over the edge. But, like, I would have liked to have seen it where he started having the small moments of lapses. The, mm-hmm. Like, those things. And I think missing it for me, like, that is, like, my only critique but it's also because the way that I can see it being used and the end point is so strong, it makes me want to know how we got there, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I totally feel get like that. There, there's, like, one episode that should have maybe been between six and seven that, like, really... Yeah. At least, like, you know, like, really honed in on that specifically because I... I I, I agree that the, the jump feels a little a little jarring because, like, you just saw, like, the... The ramifications of all of this, and then, then the next episode, the characters buying in to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I, d- but I do think just like from like a visual standpoint, those uh, those scenes with Maine, like I I I don't have a lot of moments when I watch things or play things where my jaw drops. But I literally my jaw dropped in that last scene, especially like the level of detail and. That this oh yeah, those are like, hands
3: down the best animated right. moments of the year.
0: Mm, like, mm-hmm. and that's that that shit was incredible like i don't have a ton like compared to everybody else here i don't have a ton of experience with studio the like i saw some episodes of kill lock Kill, and i saw pro america everyone was like go see the gay firefighting anime and then <laughs> the the gayness was they did mouth-to-mouth Resuscitation. um so a lot of my experience with them has just been you know just in knowing that they are really uh well regarded for their animation and the the detail they were going in as well as just like as what Eric was talking about we've Kind of like talked to passing in the in the main show about how psychosis just kind of feels like this weird boogeyman. It's like this kind of like bullet point on v story that they never actually ever come to, and they're dealing with you know a more tangible Keanu Reeves in their head when it comes to actually like how technology has sort of undermined their humanity and their just ability to just live in their body. Um, I I I think just maybe more like an extended lore thing. I was just really surprised at how. Much cyber psychosis came into this the series because it mm-hmm. just felt so negligible to me in my one experience with the franchise and mm-hmm. just like it being this through line this constant threat that, that all these characters are worrying about just felt like again it was one of those things where I felt like the, the show was really filling in the gaps that's something the, the game had just mm-hmm. kind of left me wanting on and it uh like it, you know it manifests in different ways like we don't we don't get a lot of context as to what main feels when he's feeling all these things but like with david it often manifests in like characters appearing as guns to him and and like mm-hmm. you know just like guns sprouting from their orifices and just like this wild like visually striking thing but kind of gets it, like you know even at the very beginning of all of this like he's afraid to even use a gun so like that clicked with me like i was like oh that's why that manifests for him because this is something that it took him you know a, a near-death experience to finally like get around to actually even being comfortable wielding one of these things and those through lines were very strong to me even if like like you were saying there's like it, just, it feels like there's like one episode that was missing in the chance that run to really establish how we got from point a to B. Yeah.
1: I, I would i'm real going quick.
0: to oh. yeah go no, i would do first. a
3: quick ejection just because I know you probably don't know about it but like pro bear is very gay they just had to censor it because of japanese censor laws Really? Um, Yes, for their rating. um, There are a lot of gay people at Trigger making anime, and it's one of the reasons why they do end up putting a lot of that in stuff. However, Japan released official couple rings um, that match the wedding rings that Trigger have for Leo and Gallo. Like, they they have a whole wedding thing that they did in Japan. Oh, wow. So they are canonically gay. Like, canonically marketed, like, everything they just – they had to hold back certain things in the movie it, because it's of kind of cases. a it's a Legend
1: of Korra situation almost where they had to kind of like pull back at the last minute because of oversight at the end. That's <laughs> fucked. Um, yeah. one, one thing I, I'm going to rebuff here I, I, I do agree that I think the 10 episode thing compared to what a normal anime season would be which is like 12 or 13 episodes I do think that 10 episodes does make the pacing of this series go a little fast. Uh, I don't think that like kills the momentum for me, but it does feel like a very fast paced show compared to other anime. Um, Mm -hmm. but this is where I make my spicy point. I don't think they should have an episode between six and seven because I think episode six, absolutely like probably the highlight of the entire series. It is fantastic. It's so well done. Um, the way episode six ends with them driving off in the car and obviously like Lucy feels one way about everything that has just happened is hiding a lot of demons herself. David is feeling about 14 different ways out of what has just happened and is quietly holding the arm of his former mentor as they drive off. Uh, And then the immediate jump to, You know, as the audience, we can understand that some time has passed and seeing David essentially becoming main and and becoming this super chromed out giant edge runner was a like just made my stomach drop because Mm -hmm. I was like Mm -hmm. and I think as much as having some explanation for that or, or like backfilling works, I think you are given enough tools as, as the viewer at that point to understand like why David might have made those choices. And, but you are left to fill in the gaps because of it. And I think it's the filling in the gaps that really makes that part effective for me. I think it can be effective to show something that is like, Oh God. And then you kind of have to draw your conclusions yourself. And that is part of like the creeping dread that happens around that. And I personally like that a lot. I think it's cool. Now, whether that's a choice that was made because of time constrictions or what, or mm. whether it was an intentional choice, either way, but I, I, I dug the jump. But one thing I want to use that to pivot into, and another thing, I know this whole episode has been like, this is why Edgerunners is better than 2077. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, oh, I think
0: it's a fair comparison.
1: But but like, one major thing that I think Edgerunners does incredibly well that I think is core to a good series in general. Uh, I'm going to use a roundabout connection here, so so hold on, hold on to your seats a little bit. Over over on Acts of the Blood God, we are currently watching uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. My co-hosts have never seen it before, and that's very fun. Uh, it's, I just it's watched cool. that;
2: it's really it's
1: good. Co- it's really cool to see that like people go through that because uh, one of my co-hosts, Cat, loves to talk about you know team avatar you know ang Korra, uh or ang sokka katara as like an rpg party which they are they are like a traveling band right like they they they're essentially an rpg party and i think that is a huge boon to what edge runners does is it isn't just david's story but you have this crew that gets established very early on and ken in your notes right now like the image you have here is of the crew and this has such like RPG party vibes. Like every every character has their individual strengths, has their style, has their mannerisms, has different tools. All of their chrome is very like not just visually significant, but like functionally significant. So like Lucy has the really sick wire and is kind of this acrobatic uh net runner character main is main's the tank baby main's the barbarian main mm-hmm. gets into the thick of it uh david's kind of a roguish type of character he at least at the beginning he's very like uh small and kind of maneuvers around but he has like the sandavistan that oh i love the sandavistan it's like the best it mm-hmm. is the coolest thing and, and rebecca is just the uh dps standing in the back <laughs> shooting Rebecca
3: uh, is amazing she's my favorite she's like good she's 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 like harley quinn in like the best yeah ways.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah big harley quinn vibes and and like i think so much of what makes edge runners hit for me is not just that i love david i love lucy Uh, these two characters are fantastic and we could talk about them specifically too but I think like the party as a whole is so compelling and it comes together so fast but so well like there are so many little scenes that I love like when uh, David and Main are sitting on the couch while Kiwi is net running trying to find some info for them and (laughs) Main is just probing him about like something's different about you and this is obviously like right after david and lucy have just had a night together and and he's just kind of probing him the whole time and kiwi starts joining in too <laughs> it's it's got good party vibes that 2077 like has right. one-on-one moments sure but god it never gets that party dynamic and oh, i love the party that's dynamic.
2: very true like now they're yep. reflecting on twenty seventy it is all just like one-on-one and maybe you meet up with a group for a bit but it's like it's strongest moments are with like jackie or Pan Am or judy mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just solo huh
0: yeah yeah it, it i mean the, the one like outlier and all that is probably like the nomads and you know mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. should you, you know should you make certain decisions in that game like it kind of feels like you have a party at the end but um 2077 is a fairly isolating game and i think that's i think that's too it's i, I think that's by design in some in some cases i think there's like a lot to be said about like you need you are stuck with keanu reeves and that's the only person that you've got in your proximity most of the time and you know you're dealing with i i i feel like keeping the the player alone with only that is effective in a lot of ways because it makes them reckon with the reality of their situation but it is true like i you know i have all of my favorite characters from 2077 like carrie judy i would love to like have those characters like meet and just see like what those dynamics would be and it's something that i'm even thinking about like as we're heading into 2077's D- upcoming dlc the uh, phantom liberty which is based on what they've shown so far does not seem like it's leading into the things that i really care about in this game but just like that feels like it feels like the game is going to go out without like a kind of like citadel equivalent that like really leans in on the, the characters that players really like and you know kind of like playing with the idea that you know that there is some sort of like dynamic to be had between them mm-hmm. where adronis is entirely built upon that found connection of like this group and the pain of watching them one by one uh, fall apart. And yeah, it's, again, like like you said, Eric, we're going to spend a lot of time comparing Edrona to 2077, but I do think that is a fair comparison because how these two, you know, these two tent pole pieces of media in this multimedia franchise are utilizing the same source material is significant. And I think it plays into why I think Edge just kind of resonated with a lot of people in a lot of different ways in 2077 Seven uh-huh. didn't beyond, like, you know, the mechanical issues of that game. I think just in terms of its framing of connection in this world, it just feels, like, much more tangible, much more constant. Uh-huh.
3: I think you'll, you'll always win me over with Found Family, and mm. I think uh-huh, that that's uh-huh. one of the beautiful things, is, like, it's really... I personally believe, especially in an anime, it's really easy, especially something that, like when we look at like shonen and even Satan to a point like it's really easy to win people over with one character but can you do that with an ensemble mm-hmm. and i think that that's what edge runners does so exceptionally well um even like falco at the end like i don't know much about falco Where we don't know much falco about falco but i want falco <laughs> like <laughs>
0: yeah. and i
3: think that like being able to make me want more of every single one of your characters is a feat that to do in such a little time of having them on screen. Like that's hard.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um,
3: And I also like, and I know that I'm speaking from a place of like not having the game context, but I do not like it when people complain about comparing two things within one franchise because guess Mm. what? Neither one of them exists in a vacuum. They're all playing in the same sandbox, in the same toy box. And rightfully, I think that they do deserve to be kind of like, I don't want to say judged against each other, but leveled against each other because if you're showing that you can do like S tier cyberpunk, you know, cyberpunk genre in one, and then missing the mark in another, which I don't think is right. what anybody's saying. It's just an example that should be pointed out because it's like you obviously have the tools to do it right. And are you mm-hmm. going to add more to kind of get to that point? Um, which I mean, I know that was a bad example, but <laughs> I, I do want it to like say, that, like, I do think it's fair to. to, to use those concepts and i think it's really interesting to know that like most of cyber 2077 is one-to-one because i would have assumed the opposite with how much like team dynamics are in play in edge runners
2: yeah they're they're so good like i love when a group of freaks get together and do some cool stuff like especially in a short period of time and i feel like i i know their their quirks and stuff it makes me Uh think of uh Uh hunter x hunter and the phantom Troupe when yes. like the first yes. time they're introduced and you're just like oh my god like i don't know who any of these people are but i know they mean business and i know that they work together very very well um yeah. and i, I think oh, edge runners True. does that like perfectly as well yeah. uh, i
3: actually think the most emotional i got was when rebecca had to watch her brother die uh, like yes. there yeah. was because of how like antagonistic everybody in that crew is i think it's really easy to think that none of them were like super connected because it's like oh all of these people are just like assholes and they're assholes to each other Mm -hmm. um and she's an asshole to her brother all the time like all of that stuff but like no like that like that is actually a sign of like really deep love (laughs) and i think getting to see it and even in how she grieves him is something that I think, as small as it is, is actually a really big emotional note in the show for me
0: mm-hmm.
3: and a really big emotional note towards, like, how all of these people are thinking and the, the relationships that they've formed. It's
1: it's the – so I think that's the episode also where David is doing a bunch of odd jobs for for Maine and the others in the crew as kind of just a yeah, thing I mean, to do because they, they realize that he needs something to do. He needs, like, tasks to complete – And, again, not to just use, like, RPG comparisons, but, like, this is the perfect thing of, okay, you're going to go do a bunch of different jobs for different people in the crew, but then it's going to, like, come back together and we're going to be hanging out later tonight after Mm -hmm. the gig at the, like, drive-in and then we're going to pan right away. It's like you're doing something for, for Becca. You're, like, dropping off some, some tech for Becca and her brother. Or you're running some net running chips for Kiwi. Or you're doing, like, athletic training with Lucy at night. And it's it's such good, effective party building. It honestly reminds me, the one game it does remind me of is Dragon Age Inquisition. With, with the way that I think Inquisition does such a good job of making your whole party feel like part of that group it has so many scenes where you're all like oh we're gonna play poker together and we're all gonna laugh about (laughs) the fun interactions that happen here like you just had a hookup with iron bowl and we're gonna have a whole segment of the the advisors walking in on you and all of them making different faces at seeing you and Bull just like laid out naked on the bed together (laughs) and it's it's smart writing to build this party up because then when the party starts to fall apart it just really yeah. hits and i another really distinct thing that i'm going to use to segue into talking about specific characters is all of them have such distinct looks and styles yeah. and they're all so different i mean lucy lucy is a whole look lucy is a whole character lucy is probably my favorite character out of the entire party lucy but like proof
3: she's that co- trigger has a type
1: <laughs> yes absolutely and and it's also my type i'm sorry it's just the way it is but hey, but also, also love leo the, the way david turns this like trauma team jacket into the most stylish jacket i have like this is the jacket that just owns it. night city yeah like I would buy it. <laughs> it looks so good like i'm looking at this picture right now in our notes and he's just rocking the jacket yeah it's, it's so good uh, and, and Becca's got, like, the trash goblin hoodie on, and Kiwi's got this look of, like... A, another party dynamic thing that's important to mention is that you actually see them fight together, too. Mm-hmm. You get to see them work, and, and that's another thing that you never get to see in Cyberpunk, because at or in 2077, I should say, because at most you have, like, a character who is kind of running around, crouched with you, and sometimes also shoots if you go loud. But there's not really... I think to something like Ghost in the Shell, right, where you have this whole crew and the Major is calling out orders and they're all kind of executing different things. You have, like, Bato and the Major on the ground. You have uh, the the guy with the revolver just trying to hold his own (laughs) in a frickin' future world and hackers doing all kinds of different things. And there's this whole, like, expanse of things. Everybody's doing stuff. And there are parts in Edge Runners where you see this crew operating together. And so david is like walking into this big standoff and kiwi's getting annoyed because she's like i'm gonna have to hack and short circuit all these guys and it's so effective seeing them fight together seeing them use all these things together as a crew it just builds that even more and yeah you you get a real party and then you have standout characters like lucy who is who's fantastic and and the main romantic interest did we feel the romance worked was the romance good the love all right
2: I think it was okay like I, I think it felt kind of forced early on um but uh, I I'm also just in the camp that like I don't think every single story needs romance and mm, if okay. it's if it's kind of pushed in there then I'm like really like good friendship is also good y'all like <laughs> if mm. they were just like really really good friends I, I don't know
3: See, and like I'm the opposite I actually think it worked well in the beginning because like he's a dude who just lost his mom like of course he's gonna find a woman to fall into <laughs> like and that's fine but I think at the end there were just a lot of choices that I okay I read and watch a lot of shoujo uh I read and watch a lot of romance I read it like so I know that miscommunication is, like, necessary for, like, story beats. Mm -hmm. But here it's just really dumb. Like, it's just very dumb. So I think the romance at the, like, the very end, so, like, last episode, I think it's cute how they do that in the the self-sacrifice stuff. Like, we knew he had to die, so that's fine. But, like, everything from in the middle part, from when, is it, like, Tanaka, when she finds out the information from Tanaka... Like, Mm -hmm. up until the last episode, I'm just like, this is, this is so much. This is just weird. And I think that it just wasn't well done. And I think kind of forced. Because I'm also, like, we know that Lucy isn't in the team at the same way. And I'm kind of just, like, with how close everybody is. Especially, like, Kiwi and Lucy. Why... Mm is there no more communication between all of this stuff and whether like lucy is withholding it why is nobody like trying to do the work to find out more from her and so i think that like that story beat could have been executed well if we had gotten like moments of seeing the team trying to talk to her or like trying to get it out of her and really showing like the push and pull of like do i share the information of david i have or not not just, like, now she's a story be kind of completely removed from the rest of the story, doing her yeah. own stuff. Mm.
1: That's yeah. where it gets weird for me. I can see that for sure. Ken, what about you? Yeah.
0: I, I agree with, like, the nuts and bolts gets messy because I, I think there's, like, points where, like, the actual like mechanics of the writing get messy in, in a lot of that stuff. I just am a huge fan of, like, the broad emotional strokes of it all, though, because I'm a big fan of, like, these two people that you get in the beginning you know there's these two people that feel like they come from the different sides of the tracks and that's you know an interesting sort of like dynamic to have like one person that kind of feels like they've got all this stuff figured out and this one guy who's just kind of like trying to learn the ropes like all that works for me i really was a sucker for a lot of the uh for the the, the date they went on in the bd uh, i loved it i loved the that date. i am such a huge sucker so for good.
1: scenes like that it is not even funny that
0: yeah mm. <laughs> yeah which which was also like again like a, a better use of i mean you know that kind of leans into stuff like say the uh, the pyramid song quest in 27 7 like because a lot of the a lot of cyberpunk ends up talking about bds as often either like very grotesque like thrill-seeking thing or mm-hmm. um you know you know whether it's sexual whether it's in violence whether it's in but that mm-hmm. was just like you know that came down to like a very strong emotional core for these characters like to kind of like dream of a life outside of what they have now and you know which all you know comes circling around at the very end where david says to falco take her to the moon for me okay and disappears and then but i also just like i i love angst i love when two like messy people are like trying to find ways to like coexist and save each other from themselves and you know all like again like the broad emotional strokes of it really worked for me even if it got to the like if if the actual implementation might have felt forced or just messy and contrived, mm-hmm. I, I really bought into it by the end. Like, you know, that that final scene of the, of the show where Lucy is uh, uh, on the moon, finally, and she finally got away to where she wanted to go. It was this one-way trip they talked about. But, um, you know, she still sees him on the moon. And I, I've seen some people that kind of have interpreted that as maybe, like, she did a... Um, like, she, she might have had a BD or, like, a, what is it called? Why am I suddenly blanking on what it's called when people can make brain dances what is that implant implant called that evelyn had? oh oh the scroller like a scroller Scroller, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that somebody like made that um like proposed that that might be what she was doing that she might have like done a scroll of their first quote-unquote date on the moon in that mm. bd um and you know that's I, I kind of like that as well just like this idea of you know preserving a memory of somebody that you know Lucy's very, very young, and like she's going to go several years uh, without ever, you know, seeing David again, but I like that she still maybe has that one piece of him that she can always go back to. Um, I
3: will say I feel like I mm. would have I, – I like bleak endings, so I'm going to just preface mm. that with this. I thought she was going to take her helmet off. And
0: I
1: totally to did, too. Yeah. I'm That's where I was at. No, I Uh, I 100% with you. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Like, I I also just like bleak endings. Like, I I like bleak endings. Like, she's... And it's not even that she's just lost David. She's literally lost the only people that she has ever called family. Mm. And she finally hit the spot where she... Like, that would have worked for me. But I I did want to say, like, what I do think it does well in the romance is I love when sex gets used as narrative devices. I am not a person that believes that you shouldn't have sex in any sort of storytelling. Um i love how sex is used in cyberpunk edge runners um specifically because we see a lot of it but it's always in a way that has been devalued to just Mm -hmm. showcase how like it is ugly and it is just used it's so accessible whether it's through the bd or whatever um it's just there but we never actually see david and lucy have sex we know that they Mm -hmm. have but that love, that piece of intimacy, that piece of emotion, that piece of actual genuine connection is always withheld from the audience. Mm. And I kind of really love when shows do that. It's something similar that you see in Castlevania. Like, mm. in Castlevania, there is so much sex in season three. And a lot of it is used to mimic battle sequences that are happening. But the one sex that is about love and connection, Trevor and Saifa... We never see. We never see them actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in season four, I think that's where that is. But, like, we see the aftermath or we see, like, the the moments after. But I think that there's something to be said for knowing when to use it to showcase how, how the world is around you and knowing when to hold back from showing it to kind of show or to kind of protect the intimacy and also like kind of keep Mm. it sacred slightly um I also did just see Decision to Leave which is like a Park Chan-wook movie that is has no explicit anything in it and that was a very like solid choice so that's kind of where my brain is but like I went in expecting to see more and at first I was like oh I thought we were gonna see them bang it out and I was like oh wait no it makes (laughs) sense that we didn't um
1: We do, however, see David Martinez's giant chromed out dump truck ass, though. And that's that's crucial. Yeah.
3: Thankfully.
1: Uh, Mm -hmm. One one note that I do want to make about that is I've said it before on Normandy, how I get really frustrated with games that kind of treat the pursuit of romance as the narrative arc. Because yeah. that that is a very Mass Effect thing. Like, good job. You finished the romance. You you got your Xbox trophy for romancing Garrus. Move on now. That's it. That's all the romance we wrote. And they get better with that as the series goes on. And, and mm-hmm. I think Edgerunners really works because, like, yes, there is a pursuit that happens of David, you know, like chasing after Lucy to some extent. But then we get to see them be a relationship after that and deal mm-hmm. with problems together and living together oh my god like just them walking around just nude as hell in their mm. giant apartment like <laughs> yeah. communicates so much to the yeah. viewer without having to explicitly say it and mm-hmm. again i this is how i'm going to segue us into uh, i i think this this show does an incredible job of using visuals and and using ideas to communicate things without necessarily needing to spell them out. And incredibly in some moments it does that with actual mechanics of 2077. So like a good example is I think how they use the text interfaces in this show. So yeah. a, a thing that is in 2077 because it's a video game and they need you to have constant player control and be doing you know video game things, most of communication in that game when it's not face-to-face is either through what is essentially a bad Facebook messenger app (laughs) or um, a talking head, like a Borderlands talking head, just like speaking to you and then you speak back to it. But early on, there are parts where like Characters are doing something and there's text scrolling because they're messaging each other in the background. I love the scene where Maine and uh, I cannot remember her name, uh, like, like Maine's possible love interest. He's like making out with her at one point in, in the early episodes and is also texting David at the same time. It's that odd job episode where he ends up being like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to send you on some, some gigs real quick. Um, but he's, like, he is full-on, you know, he's he's getting intimate and also sending a text message with his brain <laughs> in the background. And that communicates so much interesting nuance about this world. And I, another early great moment is in that first episode where David is having this, like, slow mental breakdown over everything that has just happened. And that rich, shitheel kid is messaging him. And, like, it, it doesn't even matter what the oh, text says. Oh, yeah, that says. part was so fucked. Like, it doesn't even matter what the text says. Like, it's about the, the, the like, constant cadence of just, like, word and word and word and things typing away in the background. And, like, oh, you were, you actually deserve this because you're a scum and you tried to reach higher than you should have. So, really, this is a good thing for you because now you know your place. And it's, like, just rolling and rolling in the background while it's doing this, like, slow zoom on David slowly just breaking down. And then immediately cut to him showing up at the Ripper Dock with the Sandovistan and saying, like, stick it in me, like put it on my back. Let's go. It's time I uh, got
2: chromed up.
1: It's mm-hmm. it's so effective though. It works so well and there's like a visual language that Trigger manages to get out of these things. Even like when Lucy is trying to hack the, the combat drone when they're abducting the the BD artist and she is just panicked and you see all the um the hacking interface that that you actually use in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Right. She's like quickly just flipping through those puzzles with like huge concentration. It's like this thing that felt like a video game as video game (laughs) mini game in 2077 is now a really effective, like piece of visual storytelling. And I think trigger does so much with that in, in edge runners that works so well that it's actually made me retroactively like parts of 2077 (laughs) to my own chagrin. (laughs) But uh, yeah, the visual language of this yeah. of this anime is just something else. How do you feel, Ken?
0: Yeah, I was honestly surprised. That, like, I-, I guess how true to the game the the show was because it felt, you know, like th- you know there were those visual elements you're talking about, like with hacking, but just like in terms of environments, in terms of like shot for shot things you can remake, like you said earlier. But like, it makes Night City feel like this very tangible. Uh, consistent place instead of just like this interchangeable city that uh-huh. you know can be adapted into other things, and because it, it felt like very, you know, very as one with what we've already you know lived and experienced in that world, and that was just like a really interesting thing. Because like I, I mean, I talk a lot about in the you know the season that we've been doing. Like I feel like I relate to Night City on like a conceptual level more than I did in a concrete way, and now I'm just like it just the way that they were so kind of like precious about those things uh kind of just makes the entire thing feel a little bit bigger but also uh you know more when it's zoomed in it feels smaller and just more tangible in a way that i really Uh appreciate it i
3: i don't think that there is a single frame of this that that wasn't well thought out Mm -hmm. i don't think anything is just put in and and i think that that's true for everything trigger does Mm -hmm. um but I, I also know that, like, that allows it to do such a good job of showcasing stuff for people who have played the games. And also, like, I started wikipedia everything. Like, I wikipedia the last guy. I wikipedia like, names of, like, stuff that they were using. Oh, I yeah, looked yeah. up videos of, like, how, like, the overlays work in the game. Like... I found myself just trying to like find every small thing that Trigger was putting in there, like without even knowing. Just like, can I Google this thing and find the equivalent? Um, and I thought that that was that was amazing.
1: Yeah, there's such an impressive effort put into making like Edgerunners Runners connect to 2077, but also making Edge Runners connect to Cyberpunk, like Capital C Cyberpunk at large. Mentioning stuff like Bart Moss and, and closing off the web and these like big overarching things. again, cyber psychosis is another great example of things that are big in the tabletop campaign that are big in in, when you play cyberpunk in general. But I think edge runners does such a good job of acting as this like connective tissue that, that can make a viewer easily understand what this world is and what it's about that, yeah, I can understand why it's becoming a springboard into 2077 and maybe even getting people to reassess how they feel about 2077 because I, I will tell you this right now, like enjoying Runners is not going to make 2077 a better video game but it has at least given me an appreciation for like some of the things that that CD project put real work into that is maybe not best highlighted by the video game at times mm-hmm. like the actual construction of night city is really incredible and like seeing it in the world of edge runners has given me a new appreciation for it in the actual video game and so much of like the visual language like we were talking about these these interfaces and things it does make me like i i kind of have the flip side where i'm you know, we're not here to like dunk on anybody but <laughs> there's 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 a growing like trend of like oh cyberpunk it's it's good now it's go back there's so much it's it's so much better it's like no cyberpunks like more functional now but like the things that were a problem that existed before don't get swept away by bugs not appearing anymore Mm. but edge runners has given me a much deeper appreciation for like the world building that cd project put into it and i will just straight up say like before i was not really interested in seeing cd project do more with cyberpunk yeah i I looked at 2077 and i was like okay you had your stab i don't think it worked out i don't think it's that good i'd rather just see witcher like that's that's kind of where i was at with that whole thing and now seeing them and, and they've been out there saying that they want to carry forward the cyberpunk IP. They, they want to do more with it. And if this is kind of like the direction that they're going to keep going and obviously, you know, it doesn't need to be with studio trigger. I think a separate discussion entirely is whether there should be edge runner season two. I say no, but <laughs> I
3: think uh, they, okay. I think they could do edge runners if they do it anthology based. Yes. So now we go with a different story.
1: One. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That would be yeah. very cool.
2: Eric, I, I, t- I totally feel that, like, it gave you a new hope for the for the series in mm-hmm. general. It also, I, like, I feel that completely, and it also made me just think about the how everything is going to be, like, based on a video game, like, every TV show and movie in a couple of years, like, mm-hmm. just with all yeah. the projects in development, Last of Us, Destiny, Mario Movie, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is going to be so much more common, and I, I'm just... It's weird to get used to that, you know? Like mm,
3: mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. And I feel like I'm mm-hmm. one of the only people who has consistently been excited for video game movies, video game TV shows, like but I'm also one of the very few people that gets really excited about anime adaptations because I just I watch a lot of them and there are so many good things there. And I think that like Castlevania kind of opened the floodgates that you could <sighs> do something different while yes. still being Not faithful, but honoring the honoring the worlds that you're in. Yeah, the themes and doing something different. Exactly, Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. something different that makes it right for that medium that you're doing. And I think that especially with American adaptations of things, they tend to not understand like what an adaptation is, Mm -hmm. and they either try to do one for one or change things so drastically that like you no longer have the vibe. But like. I'm so excited to see a proliferation of video game content and other things because like my mom will never play a video game. She won't, (laughs) but you know what? She called me after she watched every halo episode. Oh, and wow. she was like, and she was like, "Oh, this is the game that you guys are playing." And like, and you know what? I'm not gonna tell my mom how it's different because my mom is just really <laughs> enjoying it and knows what the hell Master Chief is now.
1: He knows about and Master Chief's I, ass too. <laughs> it, she did love that ass. Double cheeked. Um,
3: but like, and I think that like that video games are art, film is art, TV shows are art, and all of it is how we help connect and communicate with each other. And so I'm so excited to see more animated projects coming, and more projects coming in general. And I'm so sorry that I cut you off, Monke. Uh, okay. Like I am so sorry. I was just no, like, no, no.
2: I I... I I feel that excitement. Like I <laughs> I'm also super excited, and I love when like Edge Runners comes out, and I can get more people into Cyberpunk or Arcane drops. And I'm like, hey guys, League of Legends mm-hmm, is good. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. I I promise. Like it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's, there's cool things in here. My only issue is that like. I, I saw Uncharted in the movie theater with <laughs> my partner and I was like, Oh my God, I hope it's not all like this. I yeah. really hope it's not like just like using the, the, the branding and then making a, a mediocre story, which is like what, what I felt about Uncharted the movie. Um, like I, I just want people to make real choices and expand yeah. upon the worlds like edge runners does. And, yeah, the, this Edge Runner has made me more excited about like that future, but I'm also wary. Like, I hope people don't just cash it in. Like, get the yeah. get the Destiny name and are like, okay, right. who cares yeah. now? We people yeah. are gonna see this anyway, cause like it's a game they like.
3: Yeah, I, um, I think I, it's fair. I. I think my only, like, not really pushback, like, I th- I agree with you, and I think especially for f- something that I'm a fan of, like, something that I really love, like, Tomb Raider, I'm very protective of Tomb Raider. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider was perfect because it understood what it was doing, Um, but like, I also know that, like, even things that I may think is, like, mediocre as a fan or not good as a fan, like, that can get somebody into... The original content, or that, mm. or like they may really like. Cause my mom, my mom, she calls him that little Spider Man boy. Um, that's why. <laughs> <Tom> <laughs> that's Holland. why she watched. Yeah, that's that's Tom. That's her name for Tom Holland and Oscar Isaac is that Oscar man. And mm, mm. um, but like my mom loved Uncharted, and I think that that's one of the things that is like really hard for me is where do I, and especially as a critic too, like where do I detach like my sense of like ownership i don't want to say ownership but like my my sense of like what i expect an adaptation to be and at what point do i accept that like general audiences like my mom exists like i use my mom to gut check me a lot of times Mm -hmm. because i'm just like oh i hated this and she's like i loved this i was like you know what mom i'm happy venom is one of your top five comic book movies that makes me (laughs) happy for you and i think that like there has to be a conversation where like some things are just really, like, that Super Mario movie's not going to be good. Like, that is, like, there are just some things that, like, we can, like, <laughs> see as, like, really bad. But, like, I also think there's a space for, like, the mediocre stuff. There's a space for stuff that just gets made. And I think so long, to your point, so long as we have stuff like Edge Runners that is pushing storytelling or Arcane or Castlevania, I think it's okay to have the trash, too.
1: <laughs> I, I definitely feel like and this is the one time you'll ever hear me say this like the the sort of multiverse approach that so many places are taking now to media in general the sort of mcu you know we're not just going to tell the same story over and over again we're not just going to make a new batman movie and then make a new batman movie and then make a new batman movie but we're going to do a batman movie and then a robin tv show and like that's just a weird non-existent you know example but like cyberpunk I feel like audiences are more ready now for the idea of having stories told in worlds and worlds kind of existing across different mm-hmm. proper like different series and movies yeah. and games and things like that. And that is maybe the one benefit of this whole multiverse thing we have going on is that it will be easier for creators to pick up things like Cyberpunk, Edge Runners, or like another good example is that Bithyl is doing that um, the Tron video game. And it's going to just be, like, a story set in the Tron world told through, like, Mike Bithell's particularly, you know, particular way of making video games. And I think we're more open to that stuff these days, and that really helps. But I, I definitely feel, as far as Edge Runner, so there is, like, a concern in my mind for that they might try to do more with it. Because, number one, I think Lucy like carrying on and like them making David very explicitly part of the world of cyberpunk because that patch doesn't just like put his jacket in there, but it also, um, gives him a drink at the afterlife that you can go purchase, which is a really nice touch. I actually really, really like that. But, uh, there's, like, a line with, that they say that Adam Smasher, by the way, Adam Smasher, I, I will reboot Cyberpunk and make a separate save just so I can go kill Adam Smasher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and That's all I have to say about Adam Smasher. But um, he has, like, a line that's like, oh, you would make a beautiful engram or something like that about
0: David. That's uh, like, oh, right. Actually, real quick. I, I watched the dub. Everybody else who watched the sub, I think? Yes. I watched the dub. I watched, I watched the sub.
1: I started with the dub, and then I was like, I, I'm going to go to the sub. The, the, they're really? both excellent, from my understanding. and They're I think, both
3: really good, I, I yeah. think, anyway. Except for, um, like, Giancarlo Esposito's voice, because it doesn't match the guy that he's voicing. Like, the guy he's voicing he's, is not nearly as intimidating as his voice. He's
1: Faraday, right? He ends <laughs> yeah. up playing Faraday? Yeah. I, I, I did not recognize him in that role. It, like, took me a while, and, like, looking it up to be like, oh, that was Giancarlo Esposito, okay. Um, but I so so what was it, Ken It wasn't an engram it was I think you said you'd make a great construct or something yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, point. which I mean it's like the same thing, but you know, well, so that that made me worried that they were gonna kind of do what you know, we've talked in twenty seventy seven about how there are paths that you can take where they're like, oh, Jackie is now like has been soul killered or whatever, or like turn it into a Keanu Reeves, and then like. I could see a world where they use that as a motivation of, like, Lucy puts together a new gang to try and get whatever is left of David out of Mikoshi or whatever. Uh. Um, And I would not like that whatsoever. I don't think that there's a good way you could do that. I was kind of worried. But I do think that with the way they've been handling the integration into 2077 and stuff they're very much like that that story now exists and those worlds are now intimately connected in in cool ways but hopefully they do not continue it more but i do want to see them do more with cyberpunk uh Um, oddly enough for the for
3: the people who have played the game like i do want to know like what is your ideal like i guess like continue i don't think continuation is like not the good word but like what do you all want to see next like in the event of an edge runners like coming back for a oh, season, two.
1: like for, for a new series or something, yeah, for like <laughs> a new
3: for a new series or like a new like a new part of this anime, like what do you all want to see?
1: I think something okay. about trauma team or um, Max Tech is that the ones that that take down the the really big super cyber psychos. I think a story following one of those two would be really cool because it does feel like they're kind of the faceless grunts to say the least. And I would like to see more told behind the scenes about like the details of NCPD and what the corruption there looks like, because we get hints of that in 2077. But again, like that's a very ghost in the shell to do like, Oh, we're going to have a specialized unit within the government and have them be kind of like an incisive special forces group and maybe that will let them explore some areas of the story where things get murky, things get gray. Um, We're going to deal with the weirder parts of Night City and I think that would be either that or just like a Nomads series. Those would be like the two directions I want to go. I would
2: really love the Badlands stuff like with Pen Am's crew and stuff like that Mm. um, dealing with right outside of Night City because with David we see like the, the... down and like very rough parts of night city but i'd love to see how people are surviving outside of that and like Mm uh just just on the outskirts Mm -hmm. you 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 go uh, and explore that area for a bit in uh, 2077 but still it felt brief and i wanted to stay there for longer but Mm -hmm. i just really love those characters so i'd love to see more Yeah.
0: yeah i think the thing that comes to my mind most immediately is, like, you know, the 50 years between when Johnny Silverhand lived and when the game actually starts. I would like to see maybe what happened to all his his friends and his crew in those 50 years in some way, because mm-hmm. you know we get a lot of that context kind of like told to us through um, through basically like, what has happened in the time since we last saw these people from when we saw them in the flashback. So I think that is what my mind immediately goes to because I think, and I, I mentioned this earlier, like I feel like up to this point. I guess up until watching *Edge Runners*, a lot of my investment in cyberpunk had been very focused and narrow on my my relationship to that world to play in that game. And so when you ask me, like, what are, you know, the things that stick out, the, the stories you'd like to see based on that, I think those are still, kind of, like, the things, the things that kind of exist on the periphery of that are still kind of what my mind goes to. But I do think that *Edge Runners* kind of, like, has made me just more open to just seeing stories that are outside of my field of view right now that um because like I, I wouldn't have immediately thought of like tell me about this kid that grew up in Arasaka Academy and is dealing with all of, you know the various bullshit that he had to deal with and you know kind of see him move up the ranks through Night City uh, Merc Life and that that would not have been what I would have thought after you know finishing 2077 so I'm kind of open to the experience of whatever anybody whatever any idea somebody has um whether that's Studio Trigger or you know some other studio or you know whatever form that takes um yeah i'm open oh. to other things what about like a slice
1: of life that just follows someone like claire like a bartender at afterlife <laughs> and is just like every episode is kind of standalone and is about like different clients that i know i'm just writing what is the video game valhalla but <laughs> it's that
3: sounds amazing though
1: yeah, yeah that sounds like...
2: sick you need to get on that team what the heck
1: yeah, like like you that. just you get I, and there's there's like a good history in anime of having like very slice of life stuff like the mm-hmm. the taxi one uh that was really odd big taxi? yeah odd taxi uh, like the
2: walrus guy
1: yeah where he mm-hmm. just kind of picks up different clients and it's like each episode is about just a different journey that he has that's part of somebody else's life mm. and him talking to them and learning about them and they have kind of different things going on that you learn about in the episode and it's all very contained but it's like uh, it's such a like that anime specifically is is really really cool and made big waves because of how different and unique it was but uh you could do something similar with the world of nights that's the coolest part is that night city is such a big expansive setting that there is so much you could do in this world and Mm -hmm. I, the, it benefits from being a tabletop RPG in that way, right? Where you you have so much source material to work with, you have so much room. Like it is a it is a world that is not only built to have a lot of lore, but built to have a lot of lore that is then easy to build your own stories on top of. Mm-hmm. Like that's why D and D has inspired so many incredible uh, yeah. stories over the years like this is a world that is not just meant to be told in a certain way but meant to be told and built upon it it is a yes and world yeah. and i think that leaves cyberpunk open for so much in the future that makes it mm-hmm. really really exciting in a way and yeah like edge runners has to, a studio trigger does it again baby like they <laughs> yeah. they they really have like revived my interest in this franchise in a way that i could not even have predicted going into edge runners i was like oh it'll probably just be some like flashy stylish you know trigger's good um i i think i go up and down with them a little bit you know you have we've mentioned a lot of their good stuff we have notably not mentioned darling and the franks <laughs> i will
3: defend a large section of darling and the franks <laughs> the first
1: 14 episodes of <laughs> darling and the franks let me tell you <laughs> um i've never seen it i don't know if it I is should. i i'm if you like if you like giant robots and just bizarre trigger storytelling, I think it is absolutely worth a watch. But I
2: do love those things.
1: It. Mm. I, I will just tell you there is a discernible point where that series just goes yeah. off the rails and never comes back. And oh my god! It it somehow ends with a like thousand year trip into space that I the the last episode of of darling in the franks feels like a fever dream and that's it maybe does that's maybe why I can somehow walk into edge runners and be like, yeah, this is a much more grounded story, even though <laughs> it literally ends with David becoming fused into a mech suit and having a <laughs> brawl with Adam Smasher and Arasaka Plaza. Like if, yeah. if you said like that was, you had me watch the first episode and be like, how do you think this is going to end? I wouldn't have put it there, but also studio trigger has gone so much further in the past that honestly, this feels reserved for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but
0: yeah. That. I, on on that note, Ken, you wanted to say something. Oh, I was gonna say that was something I think actually I really enjoyed about about the show. Was that, cause like I like I said, my experience with the studio is relatively small, but um, that was one of my issues with premiere that it just, it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And I was like, <laughs> yep. okay, yep. <laughs> I mean, go off, but I'm I'm checked out now. But, um, <laughs> that is a I love classic. that over
2: the top thing. That's what
1: they do.
3: Same. Yeah. Same. Same. Like, that, that's what they're known for. Like, it's just keep yeah. pushing higher and higher and higher.
1: Promare, in yeah. some ways, feels like a parody of that. Because I think there is a discernible point in Promare where one character is like, you can't possibly be serious that this is what we're going to. Yes. And the other character is like, it is. This, is. this is what we're doing. <laughs> and I remember seeing that in theaters and people in the audience just, like, cheering and clapping. Yes. I yeah. think
3: Promare is perfection. But that aside, uh, I think that, like edge runners is the very best it's peak studio trigger but Mm. that comes with its great stuff and it also comes with its not so great stuff like their Mm -hmm. pacing like when when trigger gets in on it like they kind of forget that pacing is a thing that they Mm -hmm. should do yeah um quite a bit um and then obviously some of the romance elements but like i think overall like i think i don't Think that i could think of another studio that could do this type of storytelling this well um the only the only other one i would think of would be mappa but not because mappa is mappa but because mappa did Hidoro, which is a really mm-hmm. amazing cyberpunk um anime based on a manga um that if you haven't seen you obviously have a netflix subscription because you're you're listening to edge runners or you mm-hmm. just didn't want to watch it whatever but Doro Hidoro is a Netflix anime and it's on there and it's very good. And if you liked Edgerunners, Runners, you will like Doro Hidoro, at least in my opinion. Um, I don't I really don't think that anybody else could also manage the how do I say it? Like, what I love about Edge Runners is that there is like this really heavy, saturated, like candy colored vibrancy. Mm-hmm. And then also just really dark, grim shit, yeah. and that just works well. And I don't see anybody but Triggered nailing that.
2: Yeah, they get it.
0: They get mm-hmm. it. Yeah. One as, um, one thing that we before as as we're getting like nearing you know, yep, the wrapping yep. up point, one thing that we did not touch on that we are, that we really need to touch on is how this show redeemed 2077's soundtrack.
1: Oh God, mm. yes, it it. Mostly pulls. Like I think there's the the one intro song, the Franz Ferdinand track, is not on the Cyberpunk soundtrack. And then the rest of them are all songs from the twenty seventy seven soundtrack, I believe. Is the
3: ending theme from the,
1: 2077? the the ending the ending theme might also be I I'm gonna be honest because of the way Netflix does like next episode stuff, I had to YouTube the ending theme. Uh oh, gotcha. But uh I think the OP and the E D are New, but yes, all the music in game or in game in series is from 2077 soundtrack, I believe. And yeah, yeah, Ken, it, it absolutely yeah. does.
0: And like, we are, and because of how we've been recording and um, and rolling things out on Patreon, like, th- this might be like out of order for how people are listening to the show. But as of when we were recording this on September 25th, we are about to go into the Johnny episode where a lot of the Focuses on like the original music for that game, and honestly, like a lot of the, the samurai stuff does not do it for me in that game. But there's all this original music that is relegated to the radio in this game, which I never listen to. Like, I, I mean, I drive when I have to on my motorcycle, but like, I I try to not be in a vehicle in this game as much as possible. And I just like I I never heard half of these songs. I played <laughs> yeah. this game twice, and I never heard. I really want to stay at your house. I never heard. Major Crimes, like, all these songs, that, like, they find a way to really make really great use of in the show and, like, feel like, you know, okay, you're pulling from this game. Like, that moment feels made for that song. Like, that song feels made for that moment. Mm-hmm. And th- when you have, it like, you know, this big open-world game like Cyberpunk and, you know, you're not really tailoring the musical cues in the same way that, you know, anime is, you just it feels like a lot of that impact of the songs are gone. And, like, now I'm just listening to the 2077 soundtrack in a way that I was not in the past over two years just because the show makes such great use of the tracks
1: yeah like if you've been on like the cyberpunk side of tiktok at all mm-hmm. the i really want to stay at your house is like everywhere right now people just using it for like amvs and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it is it's a really good song it's a really mm-hmm. well done song and it did make me go like wait this is all all they ever use is they had this made for cyberpunk and it just sits on a radio station with like Mm -hmm. the other 80 songs that are in this game yeah like i and we we could talk at length about how like i I think there are aspects of cyberpunk 2077 that are very lifted from gta and also lifted Mm -hmm. from an era where uh, radio stations used to be a big thing because you would drive your car everywhere, but then fast travel got popularized and invented, and now radio stations are not a thing so much. And that that's a whole different discussion that we'll probably have on Normandy FM proper. But uh, it's, it is amazing that this stuff was just hiding there and trigger mm-hmm. not only like dips into it, but just... seems to have cherry-picked the best stuff like the the things that most suited what the story they were trying to tell was and just drops them so effectively because when you hear that song the first time when when David and Lucy are on the moon and they're having their their kind of pseudo first date or whatever uh it's it's such a good like summer love anthem right you know it's it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's got that vibe down and then when you hear it again later you're like oh oh no oh no (laughs) yeah
2: it comes back to bite.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's so mm, that's a good sign. That's a good thing. I, as we let's let's go around the room real quick. You know, Funky, any kind of closing thoughts on Edge Runners and, and Cyberpunk? Yeah, uh, Edge Runners
2: might make me play the game again. <laughs> I <laughs> I didn't think I would play it again ever because I don't really replay things unless they really really hit with me. But uh, the show just made me so excited about that world and those characters. And, and just like all of the abilities specifically that, that can be used in that world that I want to do a different play style uh, mm-hmm. and, and check out what that feels like. But yeah, cool show.
1: Kate, how about you? What are kind of your closing thoughts here?
3: I love it. Um, I love it and I loved it like just honestly, like coming in like with preconceived notions of like what cyberpunk 2077 was and why I chose to stay away from it as somebody who deeply loves like the cyberpunk genre. Um, I think that this really showcased to me that like there is so many store there are so many stories that can be told in night city and like maybe I need to go play my own finally right um and also like I just want more like I want a manga of this I want right. a manga <laughs> written by uh q hayashida who's the the person who wrote Doro Hidoro. and like I I want I want to see this go into other mediums because I think that, like, there are very few franchises that can nail a different story in different, in each different pocket, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's just so much to this world that, like, I don't even feel like I got enough of. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, to me, is, like, I want more. But I don't want more in a negative way. I want more because everything that I got was so well done. Like, I have to see more stories in this world. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Trigger doing it or, you know, something else. Like, I just, I need more. And I think that that's probably, like, the biggest go watch this I could give it. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: Ken, how about you? Yeah, it was like I was saying at the beginning. I, I feel like a lot of i i'm I'm glad that the show came out while we were still like in the middle of our season at Normandy because I think it's given me a lot of really important context for us to go into that last act that would you know mm-hmm. again like as of where we're recording at this point we we have the last act of that game to go through and I think it was really good to have this in my mind as we go into it because mm-hmm. I like I said, I have felt in the two years since that game came out that like my only connection to Night City and Cyberpunk was the and now I'm just open to more possibilities and open to visiting this this city in new contexts. And you know whether that's you know another anime, whether we get another season and it's kind of this anthology thing, or maybe I just actually start to pick up a tabletop thing for the first time in my life and make Ooh. this be the stage for that. Um, Let me know yeah. how that
1: goes if you do pick up the mm-hmm. tabletop. So so what you're saying oh, yeah. is we're running a Cyberpunk campaign after that's just what normandy fm becomes is we're just another (laughs) tabletop rpg podcast (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i came out of this i i think the what i said before about the party dynamic is the biggest thing for me out of edge runners it gave me the glue that i felt 2077 was missing for me i'm somebody who loves not just single character stories but the idea of an interconnected world and party dynamics and having a quote-unquote crew and stuff like that and it's what drew me to a lot of you know Bioware RPGs and things like that it's something that I feel they nail and it's it's made me badly you know part of me is we're playing cyberpunk 2077 right now I don't need to like quote-unquote go back to it but I also know I won't find that if I go play 2077 Mm -hmm. right now So it it does make me hope that maybe there's a chance somewhere down the line that, you know, CD Projekt says, Hey, you know, you can, here's here random studio, like what Riot Games is doing with League of Legends. Like you can go make a 20 hour JRPG about a a heist crew kind of setup and just have some fun with it. Because that is honestly, I would love the idea of a cyberpunk anime JRPG with this kind of Style and the substance here that we're working with, and the dynamics, and yeah, like a Rune
2: King esque offshoot would be yeah. so tight oh, that for would be amazing.
1: Give me, like, this is almost what I would have wanted from Chimera Squad XCOM Chimera Squad. Like, give me this crew moving around in like a tactical layout and having to like, use all their different abilities to take on. The males, so like you have a whole mission where you're trying to break into a maelstrom gang hideout, and you've got like the net runner doing hacking on the outside, while like Maine and David are like mm. pushing up in the middle, and Lucy's like picking off enemies on the side, and like you could have that real crew dynamic, and go back to your hideout later and interact with people, and and do hangout sessions and stuff. Like, give me that like Fire Emblem Three Houses shit, you know, <laughs> like, because I, mean. uh, I think. Th- ultimately like cyberpunk as a genre is a very complicated subject when you get into it it is a punk genre it is a complicated thing when you talk about what cyberpunk is and then what capital c cyberpunk is the franchise but i think the the thing that can tie any story together and make it really relevant is having this party dynamic that feels relatable that gives you all these different characters with all these different you know sometimes you know, interlinking, sometimes conflicting personalities and the way that they have to try and work together to become something greater. And that, that found family that Kate was talking about, like, absolutely, this Edge Runners brings it together. And it gives me hope that there are more stories to tell like this in Night City. And that's my ultimate hope coming out of this is that mm-hmm. I hope this isn't a one-off. I hope this isn't, you know, maybe Edge Runners, maybe the story of David and Lucy and this whole crew is, but you know, I would love to see more studios take a stab at this. Um, yeah. It also makes me be like, well, Phantom Liberty is probably not going to be like this either. Phantom mm-hmm. Liberty honestly sounds like the rejected name for a Fallout DLC. So <laughs> um, we'll see how that turns out. But I think that'll do it for the Edge Runners bonus episode here. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in, all of our backers on Patreon, all the free feed listeners. Thank you all so much. This is not a typical episode, but if you would like to back us if you'd like to support us you can head over to twitter.com slash fm show you can head over to patreon.com slash normandy uh we've got ways of backing us there or you can just leave us a nice little review five stars only uh down below <laughs> <laughs> and tell uh, a friend yeah tell a friend tell share a friend. it around uh you know edge runners is hot right now it's somehow ken and i uh we keep tapping into things mm. right as big stuff happens you know we do the mass effect season a new mass effect gets announced you know it's, i'm not saying we're responsible uh i'm asserting that we were responsible that was ken and i uh you're welcome
2: wait can y'all do a mirror's edge one then please.
0: i want a new oh, game take up, take
1: <laughs> speaking of cyberpunk series why cooper i my problem is i get really motion sick when i play mirror's edge so uh okay. i do love that first one though but we also have excellent guests here who have plenty of stuff to plug and so funky plug some stuff where can the folks find you and all the wonderful things you do
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at FunkeFly, F-U-N-K-E-F-L-Y, or my website, funke.cargo.site, where I have all my stuff.
1: (laughs) Such a good website. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Kate, what about you? Where can the folks find you?
3: Uh, you can find me on twitter at oh my Myth Ugh, oh my Myth Randir, i can't talk uh o-h-m-y-m-i-t-h-r-a-n-d-i-r um and if you want like just my manga and anime that's on instagram uh my twitter is kind of for everything and you can find all my work at but Why dot net uh, we cover pretty much everything uh, in the world of pop culture. So you can find all of my anime coverage, all of our site's anime coverage and gaming. And I'm currently covering Fantastic Fest right now. So there's if you're looking for a lot of genre film reviews, I got you covered.
1: Heck yeah. And as always, you can find Ken and I at CMOOC at Shepard CDR on Twitter. But for all of us, for Funky, for Kate, for Ken, for myself, we'll see you next time on Normandy FM.